Hey, I'm George, and you're listening to Future Mix Podcast. Zosa Cole is a critically acclaimed saxophonist, flautist, and composer. An emerging name on the UK scene, Zosa was the recipient of the BBC Young Jazz Musician of the Year Award in 2018, and has since performed alongside artists including Monty Alexander and Courtney Pine, and as a soloist for the BBC National Orchestra of Wales. He's had the opportunity to perform at prestigious venues and events, including the BBC Proms, Birmingham Symphony Hall and Ronnie Scott's, and in 2020 received the Parliamentary Jazz Award for Best Newcomer, as well as having been nominated for the Jazz FM Breakthrough Act. In January 2020, Zosa completed his inaugural 23-date UK tour with his quartet. The band recorded his debut album, Know Them, Know Us, alongside featured guest artists, saxophonist Soweto Kinch and pianist Reuben James. As a recording artist, Zosa featured on Kinch's latest album, Black Peril, where he played alongside African-American jazz titans, drummer Gregory Hutchinson and pianist Eric Lewis. Zosa also recorded saxophone for UK R&B singer-songwriter Mahalia on her critically acclaimed debut album, Love and Compromise. Although the majority of Zosa's creative output is centered around the jazz idiom, from free improv to bebop, he's recently begun to break through as an up-and-coming composer. I caught up with Zosa over the phone late in the evening. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I kind of got started in music and the arts um, originally through dance with a company called African Cultural Exchange, where we used to infuse um, traditional traditional West African dance uh, with contemporary dance as well. And it was kind of a full uh, multidisciplinary experience where we had live drummers and stuff. And then I got my foot in the door with music when I started at Andy Hamilton's Ladywood Community Centre Music School. Uh, where I used to have really cheap lessons. I think there was something like £2.50 or something. Um, and got started straight on the tenor, um, which I was able to kind of take through into secondary school with some of the free um, music service lessons that we had and orchestras and things like that. And I really got kind of sucked into the classical world for a, 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 a time I found like playing in wind orchestras and playing in full orchestras as a flautist, the, the experience of being in that full immersive sound, something that I kind of couldn't live without in a way and was really inspired by. But then um, speaking to one of my teachers, Percy Persglove, who used to run the jazz line sessions, um, he kind of, when I told him I was planning on studying classical sax at the uh, the Royal <laughs> Royal Northern School, he was like, man, what you want about, you got to go and study jazz, man, that's where it's at. And <laughs> I haven't kind of looked back since, to be honest with you. Jazz has always been at the heart of the stuff I was doing, and I was planning on kind of doing um, a bit of both. But I think with the, with the jazz thing, it's so all-encompassing that you can kind of really look at anything through that lens and for me it's kind of been a foot in the door to study and explore many different things history politics art uh, classical music um, African music diasporic music Latin American music um, American music pop music you know so it's kind of been the, the lens through which I've kind of come to or I'm starting to come to some understanding of um, you know this 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 planet and its people so yeah, jazz for me is, is, it has a lot within it, but primarily for me, it's, it's been a, a huge kind of lens to see, see things through. I didn't know that you'd started with the dance 
mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. and then transition to music. This is the thing, man, you know, like, historically, these art forms are all interlinked, drama, poetry, art, dance, um, theatre, you know, it's all, they're, they're all really, um, they're not, historically, they've not been set into distinctions and categories and, and formally like that and and for me it's my oldest brother's still involved in the dance world the, the most successful dancers have their foot in the door with music mm-hmm. and the most successful musicians that I know have a at least can you know do a two-step or have got some kind of physical manifestation of of the music because it's all it's all expression and it's all intention and it's all it's all groove man so yeah even within poetry and drama and stuff so yeah I'm I've, I feel very grateful to have had that kind of foot in the door with the dance thing early on and I, I kind of go back to it every now and again and and go and see them and take part in some of the classes sometimes yeah you mentioned uh, your brother involved in dance is this a big family thing to you do you have other relatives who pursued the music career my oldest brother kind of set the precedent we're very lucky to have a family that and parents that kind of encouraged us to do pursue many different things so we were into our sports and whatnot as well so um but the arts was something that um you know such an enriching um, thing to partake in you know we kind of caught the bug really and it's it's kind of the second generation you know working class black British kind of vibe where we can have access to um, some of these resources to be able to engage in this stuff so you know a lot of the things that I me and my brothers engage in our dad never had the opportunity to engage in but mm. he made sure that we kind of had access to those things while they were readily available and properly funded of course absolutely as a composer, mm-hmm. how do you find that life as a, as a touring musician and a, and a successful jazz player fits in with the work that you've been doing? I've been listening to your Greek suite and I can hear a lot of improvisation-based areas within there. I think the best way to describe it is kind of, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a lens really. So the improvisation thing and the composition thing, they're all different modes of study but of the same thing, you know, and, and different lenses through which to see the same thing. This music thing is so vast and diverse. For me, composition is a chance to explore um, particular approaches or sometimes harmonic or rhythmic or textural things. Um, but improvisation has always been a key element of compositions, partly because I'm just too lazy to completely through compose stuff, but also because <laughs> there's something about giving yourself and musicians a chance to take music in different directions that kind of is thrilling to me and and I kind of started off when I didn't really understand you know the process of jazz or improvisation I was like well hang on a minute why don't those guys and uh, girls just um, write all the music because surely they'd have time to edit things and to make it better and perfect and now I'm kind of swung too much the other way where I'm like why not improvise everything because we've spent so much time practicing and getting it together that it actually makes sense to give ourselves this music's about freedom and individual individuality and expression and it makes sense for us to in some way kind of um strive for that in its purest form so it's it's kind of i find it it's a bit of a tightrope to to juggle between the two but i was speaking to a uh, composer called sebastian winter a few episodes ago and the topic came up of inspiration and how you need to practice composition and he mm-hmm. does a certain amount of like writing every day that just gets you know binned mm-hmm. probably 95 percent of it but it, it is a process just like practicing an instrument and improvisation again the same thing isn't it it's mm-hmm. it's not just standing there and being spontaneous and something comes out mm-hmm. it's something that has to be kind of honed as a craft isn't mm-hmm. it absolutely man and 
And I think the thing is, you know, sometimes as artists, we think, it's funny, I was speaking to my landlady about this the other day, like, if you're an artist and you put so much effort into a particular craft, you hold yourself to that standard in every other thing that you approach artistically, but we don't often give ourselves the kind of uh, time and space to develop, you know. If, I, if I'm a person who spends however many hours a day practicing, uh, improvising or, you know, playing the saxophone, why, and I barely write at all, why would I expect the same kind of level or standard? That being said, there are obviously so many um, interconnected skills that cross over the boundaries and, um, you know, one definitely informs the other. But there are specific skills involved in composition, one being, you know, the editorial process, the process of making decisions and the process of setting parameters within which to create music. And um, as people who improvise, and, you know, there's a real liberation in um, giving yourself and, your, you know, your whole self to a performance or a, a, a jam session or just a play with people. But ultimately, that's kind of left in the room and you don't have time to make any take backs. Whereas in composition, making take backs is a huge part of the of the process. You know. Do you like to record yourself, improvise and then come back to it and, and take bits from it? Or are you very sort of this happened in the moment and the moment has passed? I kind of switch between the two. I kind of I, I'm, I'm wanting now to do kind of more recording and get a bit more of a clear understanding of my playing and my identity voice wise, because I feel like it's something that I give out a lot, but don't often sit on the other end and, and try and put myself in the position of, you know, the people that I'm trying to engage with, you know, the audience members and people who are listening and stuff and family and friends. It's like, okay, as much as this is, you know, me offering, I've got to make sure that the thing that I'm offering is what I'm, or the thing that's being received is lines up with the thing that I'm trying to offer, you know, and, and that means, you know, holding ourselves to account and not being motivated by the wrong things, not being motivated by insecurity or fear, but rather, you know, love and compassion and empathy. So I think, I think it's a, it's an ongoing process of trying to establish that, you know, cementing the relationship between your identity and your expression. And I think that's an ongoing process. Although I do believe that for some of the greats, because their sense of identity was so strong, their expression couldn't be anything less than their identity, if that makes sense. Yeah. Who of the kind of greats you mentioned there, who was your your biggest inspiration in, in the jazz field or in the in the music field in general? To be honest with you, Sally Rollins is kind of the, the person that has always resonated very strongly with me. Um, and it was only kind of a little bit down the line that I went, uh, found out that he was from uh, St. Thomas, um, or rather his mother was from St. Thomas, um, and his parents were from the US Virgin Islands, uh, which are part of the Caribbean. And then, I, and then it kind of clicked because there were obviously bits of my um, cultural heritage that were connecting me to this player whose cultural heritage um, has some of its roots in the same places. So it was like, oh, you know, a connection moment. And likewise for Thelonious Monk, who grew up in San Juan Hill, um, Sugar Hill, you know, um, which had a, I think it had a 23% um, Jamaican population uh, in the early 20s. So... There's a lot of cross-pollination musically and culturally and identity-wise. And, and when someone's expression is resonating with a part of your identity, you know, it gives you um, a strong connection to them.
The Great Sweep was a commission uh, made, I believe, in 2018 as part of the Ideas of Noise Festival. This is a festival that's that that was this inaugural uh, year actually, and um, I was commissioned to write some music for it. It's a festival that celebrates uh, noise music, sound music, free improvisation, improvised music, free jazz, um, really many things within the experimental field, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary kind of uh, works, and I had the chance to composed some music for my older brother actually for one of his dance productions and this was for string quartet and the person who was playing lead violin Sarah Farmer was also um, co-leading um, this uh, festival and she although we didn't we, we composed stuff for the my brother uh, she thought there was a lot more that we could do and so she was very very generous in commissioning me to expand and develop the work and 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 create something uh, specific for this uh, festival and I had pl string players in mind some classical com some contemporary classical and Sarah Farmer and Richard um, who were more free improvisers and I kind of wanted to write specifically for them but also um, kind of for me this this comp composition kind of um, embodies some of my approach to composition which is just a bit of a mishmash and um, kind of taking different ideas and, and gluing them together and sellotaping them kind of as a musical collage in a way. I always aim to find some sort of cohesion um, either in improvised sections or um, also within the written sections as well. But it, in many cases, each of the different sections was kind of written separately. And then after the fact, kind of um, literally sellotaped together the day before our first rehearsal. So, <laughs> yeah. And then the inspiration on this one, I've always been a kind of, um, fascinated by the pantheon of Greek um, mythology and um, the stories that are, you know, although under the guise of, you know, deities and whatever, really are the an epitome of um, expression of, of humanity and our uh, strengths and our weaknesses and our flaws and our um, compassion and, and, you know, violence and romance and everything in between, basically. So, um I was kind of just getting, I was just revisiting some of that stuff from a more academic point of view and it kind of led me to creating some, some of the different sections within the um, composition. Is there like a overarching story behind the suite? Not so much an overarching one. There are a few different kind of not movements, but themes that are kind of associated with different different stories. So there's a there's a great story of Narcissus and Echo. Echo being a nymph 
and Narcissus, I think, was just a human. And Echo, uh, for some reason, I think she'd done something or had something done unto her, which caused Aphrodite to kind of essentially curse her. And the curse that she put upon her was that Echo could only repeat back what um, what others had said to her. And then anyway, Narcissus was... There's many, many um, men and women from in the um, Greek mythology that are said to be, you know, the most beautiful, perfect, <laughs> or beautiful-looking, you know, aesthetically pleasing characters. And uh, Narcissus was one of these. Mm. And anyway, you know, Echo fell in love with this guy, Narcissus. Um, but they had a conversation, <laughs> you know, and, and she could only repeat back. But there was this beautiful kind of dialogue that happens where he would end a, a sentence in a question and she would kind of repeat it or repeat the end of it, you know, specifically as a as a statement. Um, and there's this kind of this relationship that, you know, basically unrequited love. Anyway, then Narcissus kind of sees himself within a in a lake and turns into uh, the Narcissus flower, which is kind of stooped over because he can't stop looking at himself, basically. So talk about vain. Um, <laughs> but the, that specifically, there's a interplay between the second violin and the cello, whereby the cello represents um, Narcissus and the uh, violin represents um, Echo and, and these themes are kind of repeated but are recontextualized depending on what one another are playing or maybe they're played in a different position um, or maybe the rhythm is repeated but the harmony has changed and there's kind of this interplay between or dialogue between major and minor yearning as well as... Um, you know yearning and longing basically so that was one of them and then there was other bits that was kind of more general there was a, a theme that kind of built up which was representative of the titans which were um i believe the, the i think there's 12 or so uh, children of gaia and Cronus, or maybe Cronus is one of the titans maybe it's uranus and um gaia uranus being the sky and gaia being the earth um, and then the Titans are basically the predecessors to the um, Olympians, which is, you know, your classics, Zeus's, Athena's, all those guys. kind of greek mythology has i mean i remember studying it in school and you can see how many like modern day stories are kind of inspired by a lot of these mm -hmm. kind of ancient myths and, and tales and stuff it's folk culture you know in the same way that cl classic concept like classical music is imp uh, influenced by folk music and jazz music is obviously folk music and by extension of that or blues music is folk music and by extension of that r&b funk disco uh, grime you know, these are all extensions of folk music. Our, our mm. idea of storytelling now through films, it dates back to folklore. And, and you know, the Greek, the Greeks, there, there are many kind of um, archetypes of character developments that we see within Greek that are then taken on by uh, the likes of people like uh, Shakespeare, who refine them into more specific uh, narratives that then make their way into, you know, contemporary modern culture. Uh, popular culture, Western culture, um, in the guise of like ho Hollywood blockbusters, basically. So, could you ever see yourself writing 
scores for films and plays and that that kind of thing? Well, to be honest with you, like when I when I wanted to get into music, I wanted to get into film music because within film music, there's this precision emotionally where the composers have a real strong, you know, popular film composers have real specific you know techniques that they were used to evoke particular emotions mm. and those techniques are then there's kind of a feedback loop because the films then reinforce those specific cadences and harmonies to and it kind of comes a spiral but anyway in the, in the first instance film music is epic mm. you know what i mean it's optimized in a in a musical sense it's dramatic it's it's you know there to enhance a, a filming experience and i've always been a big fan of cinema and um, and the immersive nature of it it's always been a bit of my um, escape more so than TV and yeah I would I would love at some point to um, engage in that stuff definitely you know uh, but principally in the first instance it was kind of I wanted to play that music just because I loved I loved the sound of it and I loved the idea of um, contributing to some much wider um, immersive experience in the same way that you know, I've always loved singing in choirs, although I don't often get to do it because I find that in that context, I'm able to uh, contribute to a much bigger force, and and in some way, that's that's a that's a um, that's a really nice place for us to be from a sense of self, rather than our, us projecting our sense of self. We're contributing to a larger sense of self that's connected with other people. You know. Any plans for you in the near future as things start to open up? What have you got? in that kind of penciled in have you got anything coming up soon yeah i mean it's 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 all penciled isn't it really yeah. um um this probably well this will definitely be after this airs but performing at cancer smithies tomorrow celebrating the music of lester young the lester young trio with buddy rich and nat king cole um alongside joe webb and uh, jason brown which is going to be a real treat and a learning experience mm-hmm. Um, and then just trying to keep busy and there are different things I'm, I've put together this animation called well I've co-directed this animation alongside an amazing um, visual artist Shi Li which is called Stationary Peaceful Protest which kind of explores themes around the um, black, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and specifically the marches that took place in May of last year um, but man you know being back in university and and really catching the vibe and checking in with everyone has been kind of a, a bit of a, a boost for me. You know, it's, I feel saturated in inspiration and looking forward to getting back to Birmingham and just, and just putting the, putting the, putting this inspiration to good work and, and shedding basically, because, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, you can think you're getting on with stuff, but then you, you know, you have classes with people and you discuss things with people or you check what other people are doing. And it's like, man, yeah, you, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to be getting on with. Thanks to Zoza for joining me for episode five. It's always eye opening to hear him talk about anything. The Greek Suite was written by Zosa Cole and performed by Sarah Farmer, Helena Britton, Richard Scott and Victoria Groves. Now we've only got one more episode left in this series and I very much hope you'll join me for that. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and support our Patreon page. Oh, and leave us a five-star review please. <laughs>